Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and develop. If you're one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week for Business Creators Radio Show are all four of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Fresh content will be delivered to your iTunes every week. Right now, over 190 episodes await your immediate perusal, and every five-star rating is greatly appreciated. Helps us serve more business creators just like you. Now, today, we are going to dive into a topic that I personally love. And the reason I like this topic is because it's about a person setting goals. And in this case, this, we have an entrepreneur on the line whose goal is to buy and invest in 100-plus businesses, in other words, over, over 100 business over the courses of the next five years. And we're going to, during the course of this interview, we're just going to sort of go down the path that he's going to take us, and he's going to show us some of the things, like uh, you know what got him into investing, how he makes money from the businesses, uh, some things you need to think about if you want to follow the path of buying and investing in businesses yourself. Because it's one thing to start a business from scratch. It's another thing to buy a business that already exists and make it your own profit center. And to help us distinguish the difference and show you some of the opportunities that lay before you today, I'm proud to introduce to you Moran Pobert. Moran, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. Great, great. So first of all, I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about you, and then I'm going to ask you a, a question. So here we go. Uh, Moran Pobert is a former Israeli Defense Forces soldier. He has had extensive dealings with dozens of entrepreneurial projects. Some of his latest projects are TalonX, which is an international marketing firm, and iTips, which was a top 100 app in 100 stores across the world in the App Store, including in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Moran's goal is to buy at least 100 companies in the next five years, and he's currently looking for companies to buy and invest in. He's open to looking and exploring companies in pretty much any sector. He's currently looking for partners to help him achieve this goal, and that's why he agreed to mentor a few selected individuals who get the opportunity to help him find deals and then watch him in every step of the process. They join him on every call, they're copied on all the emails and meetings if and when they have them with business owners. As he negotiates, structures, finances, runs, and grows these businesses. So this is true watch over your shoulder and see how it's done type coaching and mentoring. Not just that, but he gives his students and partners at least 25% in each deal for helping him while they learn the process of buying and investing in businesses, even if they have no personal capital to invest. And he got that idea from watching that uh, TV show, The Profit, with Marcus Lemonis. Now, you may be listening to what I just read and thinking, wasn't that more of a sales pitch? And the answer to that is no. And the reason I say that is because just as 
Moran has a very tightly held coaching program where he shows his own students every step of the way and lets them watch over his shoulder as he constructs and does these deals, we're going to give you, the listener to the Business Creators Radio Show, a little bit of that same insight so you can get a real-world taste of the process of buying and investing in existing businesses. So that's why we decided to do this topic today. It's a little bit different than what we normally do here, and I thought that it would be a great, not only a pattern interrupt, but it would be a new way of looking at how you can create multiple streams of income and how you can create the financial basis for your dreams. Now, Moran, I just read off your bio there, but could you tell us, just for our listeners who are getting to know you, a little bit more about your own personal journey and what brought you to the point where you now serve at the intersection of your brilliance and passion, helping business creators in this way. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I'm I'm based. I'm basically I'm born and raised in Israel, and as Israeli, you got to go to the army at the age of 18. And I went to the army. I had three years in service, and when I finished the army, I was like like every little. Uh, kid or boy or man here in Israel, I was thinking what I'm going to do with myself. And I had a bartending job. I worked as a bartender for a bit, but I got fired after like two months of working in a bar. And I realized that I can't have a boss. I don't want to have a boss. I want to be my own boss. And that's what led me to this world of of business. Um, I knew a few people who made money from the internet. And that's what led me to the online world. Uh, back then, I started doing different, um, providing different marketing services to different clients, and that's what kind of like start my started my journey in business. I then, like you just mentioned, I've been involved in different businesses. Um, one of my most successful projects was the the iPhone app company that I had, and that process with that business, that company, that app led me to this world of buying businesses, investing in businesses, and that's what I'm focused on right now. And that's what I believe is uh, the most fun, inspiring, entertaining lifestyle and business that I could be around. And, yeah, I'm happy to to share some of the experience that I have with this world. Great, absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier, this is going to be a little bit of a different take where we get to see – uh, a glimpse into your world of buying and investing in currently existing businesses, which is a very fun thing. And uh, also we need to talk a little bit about how people can do that if they don't have a lot of capital of their own, which I know we'll get to. So uh, first of all, uh, just so that we can help to define our terms, what, is, uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made as you've gone down this process so that we can learn from the trailblazer what path to avoid? <laughs> wow. So, first of all, many mistakes. I think anyone in this world who made any success probably made more mistakes than anyone who didn't. I probably made more mistakes than anyone that I know, other than the guys that I look up to. So, the guys that I looked up to, some of the literally um, multi-millionaires, billion. I have some of my mentors are literally billionaires. I look up to them. They've done probably more mistakes than me, and that's one of the reasons that they're where they're at, and I'm not there yet. But a handful of mistakes. First of all, I think the biggest one is just not being focused enough. Um, right. That's something that I would really, really emphasize to anyone out there. Um, everyone out there think, always thinks that the grass is always greener, that there's always 
uh, better shiny objects out there and that's that's such a such a childhood thinking um i wish i wish someone would point me to the fact that you can focus on just one business area or sector and you can make money there no matter what you don't need to look at different right. places or opportunities just focus on one thing ideally focus on something that you're passionate about or um you love you love doing but just focus i think that's the one one main thing to emphasize yeah and i and i think there's something to that uh what i've found in my own life in my own business is the power of no to create opportunity because when you say no to something the way i look at it is if you if i say no to it I'm creating the opportunity for somebody else to say yes. So I don't feel bad at all because all I'm doing is generating an opportunity that's better suited for someone else. That's the first item. The second thing is uh, I b- firmly believe that when it comes to looking at any opportunity, if it's not hell yes, it's hell no, even if it looks good on paper. Uh, it, I've got I've to have a passion for it, and I've just got to feel it's right. I've had opportunities across my desk that uh, – that uh, meet every single element of my quote-unquote customer avatar, that fit the bullet points exactly of what I say the business is looking to attract. But then when I look at the deal, uh, just I, you know, I speak with the people and I get a feel for what's going on, something about it just tells me no. And if I've got that sort of lingering sense about it, I just walk away. Because I found that every time that I thought, yeah, I'll power through it and I'm sure it'll be okay, wasn't. And, then I, and what ended up suffering was that thing I really wanted to be doing while I ran and scrambled trying to service this thing that I never should have been into in the first place. Now, that's an interesting sentiment when we talk about uh, what you're doing is you're, create, you're investing in multiple businesses and creating uh, all these different streams of income with the goal of buying and investing 100-plus businesses. So let's back up a step. And, you know, you told us a little bit about your story and what have you, but what specifically got you into investing rather than doing a bunch of startups? Yeah, so first of all, I started doing a startup, um, but then I just realized there's a better way. And like you mentioned in the beginning, uh, some of that happened literally just by watching TV shows like Shark Tank, like Dragon's Den for the Canadian or UK version. Uh, like The Profit, yeah. and now uh, a TV show like The Partner, I literally just realized that, hey, I don't want to be the day-to-day manager. I don't want to deal with the menial, repeatable tasks. I, I I just found out I'm also not the best at doing those things, that there are people who are better than me in managing things. And for me, I want to be the, the shareholder. I want to be the behind-the-scenes owner. And I really believe that there's a huge difference between owning a business and running a business. And most people out there, they're running a business. The business is highly dependent on them. Um, if something's going to happen um, to the owner tomorrow, um, there's no business many times. And I realized that, first of all, um, I want to be the owner just because it's more fun, to be honest. I remember watching TV shows like Shark Tank and seeing the, the investors just sitting there looking at different pitches, looking at different business opportunities, and just deciding what right. they're going to do. I was like, hey, I, I want to do that. I want to do exactly what they're doing. I don't care what it takes. Uh, I want to be there in their seats. And that's kind of like what started my journey in this world. Um, obviously, I could talk a lot more about it, but I think at the end of the day, um, I'll just emphasize and say that the, 
back then when I managed my last business, I didn't enjoy my day-to-day. No matter how much money I made, um, like literally some of the days I was miserable. I was waking up, hated my day-to-day. I didn't enjoy things that I'm doing. And nowadays, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about those things. Um, like, I'm, I'm seriously enjoying my work now more than I enjoyed most of the vacations I went to. And there's nothing wrong about going to a vacation, but the fulfillment and excitement that I'm getting from uh, my current lifestyle, my current day-to-day work is just, you can't get that fulfillment from just buying another thing or from taking another vacation. And that's something I really want, I, I hope people will, will really listen to. Um, and you mentioned that as well, the fact that you, you got to focus on enjoying what you're doing and focus on doing that today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Do that today and your future will, will, will be that way as well. Great. So uh, let's say you have somebody uh, who is interested in doing what you're doing, following your path, investing in existing businesses. Uh, how does somebody form a criteria or a set of guidelines for considering what types of business they would like to invest in? Uh, maybe there's one right answer to this. Maybe it's subjective. But what's the thought process that somebody should follow when deciding what types of businesses they should get involved in? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously there, there's many, many ways to get into that world. Um, I have friends who are in the private equity, venture capital world, angel investors. Um, and what I'm doing personally is um, some kind of combination. You could say it's, it's similar to what private equity firms are doing. So first of all, I would ask that person if he got money and he got some experience in some sector. Um if yes, then, and again, it's really, really individual based on that person, right? I can just tell you what I'm doing, and based on that, if someone likes that, then just go for that. That's what I found to be the best thing, and that's what I'm most passionate about at the moment. At least, I might add some kind of angel investments in the future, just because I think it's really fun. But what I'm doing at the moment is I'm going to existing businesses that's already existing for at least three to five years, and we're trying to buy that business. So we're basically skipping the startup phase, and we're mostly using the business assets to finance the acquisitions costs. So, um, and that's really great because you can get into this world even if you don't have much capital, or sometimes even you don't need any capital. Like there are deals where you don't need to pay your own capital at all. And even if you don't have capital, and using debt finances is enough. Um, you could always find investors who are looking for good opportunities. So I, I'd say the first thing to ask yourself if you want to get into this world of buying businesses, is first of all, just ask yourself, is that something you want to do? Because I know people who like to sit on the computer all day, who like to do repeatable stuff, who, who don't like to um, open their mind or, or think too much. Um, so that, that won't work for those kind of people. But this, this will work for people who... Um, I think a little bit ABB, to be honest, even right. though I said that focus is very, very, very crucial. I think this is the perfect business for ABB people just because you can still be involved in many industries, many sectors, learn about tons of businesses. And I just found it literally the best excuse to be ABB still in business. So, yeah, hope that, hope that answers or at least start to answer some of that question. Oh, yeah. That, and I tell you, that's a – 
that's a lot right there. And, you know, part of what we explored in your answer is, uh, you know, what somebody should look for when they're considering getting into the idea of investing in businesses. But uh, let me ask a question a different way, uh, and this will allow us to get even more out of this, is what would we, be, you know, what should somebody who is, considering investing in businesses. Let's say I've decided that I want to be somebody who invests in businesses. I'm ready to do this. So what's the process I can use to decide, like, maybe what industry to invest in or, like, what are some of the criteria that the business should have? I mean, should it be a startup? Should it be at $5 million revenue? Should it have uh, 1 to 5 employees, 10 to 20 employees? Uh, should it have Inc. 500 status? What are some of the things that you would look for in terms of, of – the best type of business to consider investing in once you decide you want to go down that route? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let, let's start with st startups. First of all, if you want to invest into startups, you got to have some capital, in, and then you could act as some kind of an angel investor, unless you want to take the fund route, which means you need to go raise capital um, and become some kind of a, a VC fund, venture capital fund. Right, right. In that case, even if you if you have your own capital or you raise some some money from other investors, um, you need to be prepared for the fact that nine out of ten of businesses you're going to invest in um, probably going to fail, and uh, obviously it depends on which round you're going to invest. But let's let's assume you're an angel investor investing in in new startups, right? So there's basically just the idea or a beta phase for that product, um, and that's right. based on stats. Like if you're going to look at stats out there, like ninety. I don't know the exact stats, but correct me if I'm wrong, there's like 90% of new businesses going to fail within the first five years. And those who are going to yeah. um, succeed, they're going to fail in the next five years. So 90 plus percent right. of businesses are going to fail no matter what. I mean, those are the stats there. And I'm not trying to be pessimist. It's just that's the word, right? Um, so yeah. in that case, and I see some of my good good friends who are um, either angel investors or uh, VC partner, uh, partners in a VC firm, they know in advance that th like they're prepared for the scenario that 9 out of 10 businesses are going to fail. But they're okay with that fact because they know that if that one business will make it, they'll still make a lot of money. But what I'd suggest, right. the, the, the other guys don't, I, I don't, at least personally, I don't think you want to be that person who's fighting for that 10%. Um, so that's my first thought. Um, secondly, and, and that's at least the, the method that, and the strategy that I work with, is go for businesses that's already existing for three to five years, or basically skip the startup phase. Ideally, go for businesses that's already doing above one million a year in sales, in revenues, um, already got some employees, some kind of management team in place and usually above 1 million um, many many times the business is already not really high at least not highly dependent on the owner which is crucial if you want to buy that business um, in, in that case and, and tell me how much in depth you want me to talk about that but um, go talk to the owner um, present yourself with someone who potentially want to buy that business and get some basic information about the business. Obviously, sign an NDA, uh, non-disclosure non agreement, so the owner will feel comfortable sharing that information with you. But as soon as you get that information, look at the numbers, see how, how the business working, see if you could potentially see yourself owning a business like that or maybe running a business like that if you want. And uh, then we could talk about the next steps on how to finance that deal and stuff like that. But, but yeah, just tell me where we want me to take that, that call. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's a, 
I mean, and again, I guess that may vary for some people, but what I, you know, what I love to see is you sharing some of your criteria based on your experiences doing this. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I guess, you know, you raise some good points that if you're going to invest in a business that uh, if you have something that's already established, uh, is it fair to say that that's normally a smarter investment because there's already a foundation and there's already revenue and there are already customers? 100%. So when you so, so let's compare startups to an existing business. When you're a startup, you don't have a track record, you don't have a brand recognition, you don't have a list of clients or employees. Um, you're starting from scratch. And to prove yourself as someone reliable in the business world, um, at least to begin with, is really, really hard, at least especially nowadays with social media and the fact that everyone is looking for referrals and looking to, to, to read reviews about you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when that's, that's a scenario when you're a startup. When you go into existing business that's already existing for a few years, um, all those businesses already got a list of clients, especially if you're doing above one million a year in revenues. I mean, you've got to do something good if you got to that stage, right, no matter what. Um, so when you get to that point, first of all, you skip the, you skip the startup phase. I mean, most businesses fail within their first within their first year. So the fact that you go to a business that existing for already at least three to five years, I mean, your risk reduces a lot. And I talk to businesses sometimes who already exist for like 20, 30 years, some of them. Um, the owners are many times baby boomers who are looking to retire and just looking for a good, safe pair of hands um, who will take care of over their business, who are going to take care of their employees, their heritage, the, the brand name that they built because those businesses are like babies for them. And the, the chances of a business like that to fail is is literally nothing because, I mean, those businesses grew up so slow over 10, sometimes 20 years. And, I mean, I, I don't care what experience you have in business. There's only so much bad things you could do after a business did so well for 20 years. Yeah, and I think I think that's a great that's a great thing. So, uh, you know, what I, you know, comes to mind here. As I as I think about this, because I'm starting to vision myself uh, as in being in this place of being an investor in other businesses. As our listeners know here on Business Creators Radio Show, not only am I the esteemed host, but I also put myself in the audience with our listeners with my notepad and my pen, taking notes because I want the edge in my business as well. So I'm already starting to see a vision for myself of being somebody who invests in other businesses. That leads to a few questions. Uh, first of all, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get into this issue of how you can become an investor in businesses when you don't have a lot of capital of your own. Because I can tell you that I know people that are grossing $2 million a year in, your business, in their business that uh, have overhead of $1.8 million. So even though they're living comfortable lifestyles and their business is funding what they want it to do. Uh, it's not like there's all kinds of disposable income just laying around for them to go buy 20 or 50 or 100 other businesses. So let's say I want to get into it, yeah. but I just don't have a lot of money laying around. Or, and the bank won't give me a loan. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great question. And what you just said is, is such a, an important thing. And that's something that I learned from my mentors is that you don't really make the big money from income but you make that money from equity in transactions or from capital events. And I'll, I'll tell you even more than that. Some of my mentors, um, their saying is you make money only when you sell the business and not when you're running it. And what you just said, I mean, 
it's perfectly true. Most of the businesses that I talk to, um, as you just mentioned, it's not, it's not like they're having millions in their bank sitting waiting for them, even that they're making a few millions in sales. Um, um, so yeah, how how do you buy a business like that if you don't have much money? So to right. to summarize it in one sentence, we're using the business assets uh, to finance the acquisition. So for example, let's say we're going to um, any type of business, a B2B business. Um, we're going, we're having a conversation with the owner. Um, we're receiving some basic information. Obviously, we sign an NDA so that the owner is comfortable with us. We build some rapport. And now we have the basic information about the business. So we have all the latest financials, latest balance sheet, um, and all the rest of the information that you need in order to understand about the business. When I have that information, I could literally take the, the balance sheet. So I don't want to overwhelm people too much, but every business got a balance sheet. We got the assets and liabilities. When we, have, we look at the assets, we have things like uh, accounts receivables, inventory, sometimes real estate. Uh, cash, et cetera, et cetera, right? I could take that list of assets, go to um, different financial institutions and basically tell them, hey, um, hello, dear banker, I have that business I'm looking to buy. Here are the assets that I have. Um, what can you loan against those assets? That's basically the first, the first thing that I'll do. Um, as soon as I get a response back, and obviously the, the financier, the, the guy from the financial institutions, and that could be any type of bank, and I mean, there are tons of financial institutions out there. Some of them will uh, finance based on receivables. Some of them will finance based on inventory. Some of them will finance based on based on cash flow or real estate. Or you got literally thousands of those different financiers uh, around the world. So the financier will just tell you, hey, um, Moran, if you want to buy the business, here's what I could loan you against those assets, um, and go back and play with it. When I have that number, when the financiers told me how much I could raise, I could take that number and start my negotiation process. And the way I usually work is ideally I don't want to pay more than that number at closing when I buy the business. So right. let's assume we agreed on yeah, so let, let's assume we agreed on um let's say I got one million dollar from the bank that I could raise. I don't want to pay more than that at closing, and the rest of it will need to be structured over a few months or a few years or whatever the deal could afford. So that's the simple, um, simple way to put it. Yeah, and you know that makes a lot of sense uh, because you're just looking at different uh, ways of finding the money that may not be just directly handing them cash, and that's something that a lot of our listeners and a lot of entrepreneurs I know including to a degree myself, I'll be transparent, including to a degree myself, uh, find ourselves in situations where uh, we have the interest, we have the wherewithal, and we have the bandwidth to create multiple streams of income and a recognition that investing in an existing business is a smart move to make. But the challenge is, uh, and this is what myself and a number of other people run into, is it seems like because we're forward-thinking entrepreneurs who know how to make money, banks don't want to loan to us. It's kind of weird how that works. Uh, there's some uh, catastrophic changes in our banking laws here in the United States about eight or nine years ago. And uh, I don't know if somebody listening to this in 2017 or 2018 or 2019, uh, who knows what progress we're going to make in the next year or so getting all that fixed. But, you know, Ram, I remember back in the day, um, let's go – let's think about uh, – 
like the, uh, the 2000s, 2006, 2007, 2008. I don't know what it was like in Israel. I know what it was like in the United States. Uh, I, was, I, I had a brand-new business just starting out, and I had bankers that wanted so bad to extend small business loans to my company that I would have bankers show up at my door unannounced with pre-filled out paperwork. The only thing we really needed to write in was the amount of money that I would take out and my signature. Unsecured loans good to go. And then, but, and then uh, what happens is, yeah, so for the first couple of years, I, you know, I, I ticked up a bunch of debt. And then, uh, you know, the Great Recession, I had to dip pretty deep into my line of credit. So then around that time, you know, I, I grabbed the debt consolidation loan five years, made all my payments on time, paid that sucker off three months early, actually. And then go, coming flush off the success, of having paid off a successful, uh, a successful debt consolidation loan, uh, having outstanding ratings credit-wise for my business entity. And if you want to look at this, my personal credit ratings, I don't want to give any numbers out over the phone, but let's just say by any of those little graphs you see in any of those credit raters, my needle is always in the green area. They looked at me like, because uh, I, I asked for, I thought, okay, let's, you know, let's do another debt consolidation loan just to reset me to zero again and put $10,000 on top of that, and we'll use that for marketing investments. They looked at me like I had five heads, and I had a lot of temerity even having the nerve to ask for a loan. Uh, among the questions I was asked, and I'm not going to make this up, I'm not going to make this up, is had a loan officer ask me with a straight face. They said, our underwriters were going through your stuff for your business loan. And so they were looking at your personal stuff. And I'm thinking, first of all, this is my business, but okay. And they say, we notice you have a student loan. Like, yeah, I'm a guy in my late 30s, and I graduated with my MBA 12 years ago. Chances are I have a student loan. <laughs> Why do you have a student loan? We're really concerned you have a student loan. And they weren't kidding. Oh, they actually bothered me oh. I have an outstanding student loan. Who doesn't have an outstanding student loan if you went to college. Come on. I mean, I went, I went to an MBA, I went to an MBA program and that thing was 100% debt financed. So I told them that the reason I had a student loan is because the cost of textbooks was very expensive and I needed funding for my meth lab so that I could raise the funds. That <laughs> they think it was very funny, but I didn't think the whole process was very funny. Now, the reason I segued and told this story is because I wanted to express my own frustrations, which are in line with a lot of frustrations that our listeners have shared with me about getting a damn loan from the bank. So what's very helpful is what you shared with us about different ways to look at using other people's money or using the, you know, using the cash flow of the business itself to uh, invest in other businesses. So uh, what I want to ask, and this may, sound, this may be like a Captain Obvious question to you, but for our listeners, it could be solid gold, is, is there a way to build a structure if you go through the process of investing in 100 businesses over five years, where once you get certain businesses paid off, you can use, the, uh, you can use some of the revenue from those businesses to fund your investment in other businesses? I think that's a Captain Obvious answer, but let me ask a part two, which may not be. Is it possible to use equity in your existing businesses rather than the cash flow of those mm -hmm. existing businesses to fund your investment in additional businesses? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And let me even make it simpler to you. So what you just said about taking a loan, 
um, it's going to be much harder for you to take a loan for your own existing business or for your own personal, um, if you want a personal loan, that will be much harder for you to take because the business wants some kind of collateral. Um, what we're doing is we're going to the bank with existing business assets. So we're not, I'm not signing, I, I never, I try to never sign personal guarantees. What I use for collateral is the business, the, the business I'm about to purchase assets. So let's say the business I'm looking for, they have real estate. I'm using that as, as collateral. Let's say they have accounts receivable. I use that as, as collateral. If they have inventory or some stock, I use that as collateral. So no matter what happens with the loan, the bank could always take that. So let's say, hopefully not, but let's say there's any challenge, the bank own the real estate now. The, the financial institutions own the, the receivables now. So they're using that as collateral. So it's not really a normal loan it's more like um it's like financing um any type of it's really similar to real estate many times it's much easier to real to finance real estate because the bank knows that they have um the, the, the real estate if there's any issues so now the question is how much you're going to get loan so many times yes you won't get 100 percent um loan on the real estate value but many times for me buying getting 80% of the real estate value or getting 80% of the accounts receivables books or getting even 50% of the inventory is enough for me to pay a down payment to buy a business because I could structure the rest of the payments to be paid over a few years and that's the huge huge difference that people just don't know to be honest the fact that when you buy a business just if you're going to look at the word of the M&A word the word of mergers and acquisitions all the deals, they're not, so let's say someone's buying a business, they're not paying 100% of the cash at closing. That's just the norm. That's the word of buying businesses. No one's paying 100% cash at closing unless it's a very unique deal. And obviously there was uh, many times the only 100% cash deals you're seeing is just with big, big companies that had a, ve a very strategic reason for them buying the business. And look lots of synergies and cross-selling opportunities. And even in that case, many times it's not really a case. It's just you're getting shares. And many times those are shares in public companies that you many times can touch for at least 12 months. So just to put things in, in structure, no matter what business you're buying, you're not paying 100% cash at closing. And if you do, you're going to, you, you can, if you want to pay 100% cash at closing, you can negotiate a very, very good deal. So what I do is I just loan as much as I can and the rest of it, I structure over a few years. In that case, I'm not asking for too much loan from the business. Um, many times it's much, much less than what the business worth. So many times I don't need more than 50% of the of what the business worth to, to get a loan for. I pay that at closing. The rest of it is structured over a few years. I use the business assets as collateral, so I don't need to risk any personal assets. And that's how the bank is much is much more happy to loan you against existing business and that's another reason that you want to buy existing business that that's existing for a few years because i mean you're, you're going to show the the, owner, the the banks hey i mean look this, this business is existing for many years um what's the chance that something's going to happen unlike a startup that i mean what's the chances you're going to be successful right that that's very very different scenario to go to a banker with to go and tell him hey i have this billion dollar idea I have nothing yet versus, hey, I have this existing business. It's already existing for 10 years. I got those assets. I got real estate. I got 
uh, uh, receivables. I got inventory. I mean, a banker is very, very happy to loan against those existing assets versus giving um, someone with inspiration or a great idea many times uh, money. And that's the huge, huge difference between those two, two words. And that's why for a startup, it's much easier to go to an angel investor or a VC firms um, that's familiar with those risk of startups. Yeah. You know what else jumps out at me uh, as you go through all this is we're talking about secured loans. What I was sharing in my little rant that I gave earlier, uh, these were basically unsecured loans, which is a key difference for our listeners to understand because unsecured yeah, means there's no physical asset or seizable asset. I mean, even though, uh, even though with all these you know, current regulations that are in place uh, that seem to almost be targeted at punishing small businesses for having the temerity to want to grow and serve customers, you know, crazy stuff like that, change the world, uh, I can go anywhere and get any secured loan for anything, either business or personal. Anything I want secured I can get because – Again, the business has an outstanding rating. I personally have an outstanding rating, so you know, we're good to go. Uh, it's just a matter of finding something they can attach. So getting that consolidation loan for the business, my logic of, hey, guys, you know, you could buy out all my debt. Uh, the benefit to me is that I could save five points on my interest and only have to make one payment instead of paying extra interest and making all these little small payments and getting nowhere fast. And the benefit to you is instead of, you know, Barclays making money and City making money and uh, Discover making money and all that, you make all the money off my interest, which I've demonstrated over 10 years. We never have a problem paying for anything. But, they, but the issue was they were looking for something they could attach. I have an online business. What are they going to attach? My computers? That's about it. I mean, other, other than that, uh, my business basically – uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, exists on a hard drive somewhere. Uh, and that's how it is with a lot of entrepreneurs. So what I wanted to bring out here, and the reason why we took this segue uh, for our listeners, is this is a great way to create capital for your business. If you listen to what Moran has shared with you, which is how to use, if I heard you correctly, the assets of the business you're acquiring to secure the loan to acquire that business, or you, you know, whether it's physical assets, accounts receivable, whatever it is, then you can get into a situation where you own assets. So that when you want funding for your online business or your virtual business, you can use those assets as, as collateral and you can get the loans you need. That's one of the reasons I wanted to bring this on because this was something that I had my eyes open to very recently, which just the whole idea of uh, you know, looking for something that a, a financial institution could secure in the name of giving me a loan. So I want to thank you for sharing that with us, Moran. Now, what I'd like to do is uh, now go into a slightly different area is you're looking to own 100 businesses, and these are all million-dollar businesses over the next five years. Uh, let's talk about you personally a little bit. Uh, what do you do to recharge yourself? I mean, do you need vacations? Do you need like a 25-person virtual team? What, what, how do you get through? <laughs> That's a great question. And, and it's funny because I feel like I work less than I worked before. Seriously, I, I just really, really enjoy my day-to-day -day right now. And I don't see 
90% of my day, I don't see it as work. Um, 90% of my day right now is having calls, meeting people, um, many times having flights to really cool places to meet more cool people. Um, I, I'll just give you an example. I'm, I'm, I had a call yesterday with a business owner who's owning a business for almost 20 years. That guy is so passionate. And, and I don't know if I can even explain what the business is doing exactly yet. It's some kind of a laboratory testing uh, food and allergies and all that stuff, um, which I know nothing about. And that person is so excited, so passionate about. He, he, he can talk about that that world for, for for hours, right? And for me, just to be around those people who are so driven and passionate about and literally live those businesses for years, I, I get energy from that. I really, really am. I mean, I'm, I'm at a point, I mean, I, I, I don't really see my day as work. I just, I can walk around the street, talk to people or sit in my office or in my home talking to people or meeting people. Uh, for me, it's fun. Unlike taking me back a few years ago, um, I had to sit in front of the computer all day, um, many times managing marketing campaigns myself, watching uh, little stats and numbers and, and comparing um, CTR to CPM and other really, really boring things. And back then, just sitting one, two hours on that, I, I literally couldn't stand it. Nowadays, I could work 10, 12 hours a day just doing what I'm doing, and I really don't see it as work. I just, I enjoy talking to people. Obviously, I do have my rituals. I do have my, I try to be very healthy, to, to eat really healthy, to work out. Um, I try to do some kind of exercise almost every day. Um, I, I do meditate. I, I can dive in even deeper about some of the other things I'm doing. Um, I'm reading, I read probably any book about self-development, happiness, um, business. And those are things that definitely keep me in charge. I mean, I can talk more about my daily ritual, if you want, my morning ritual and stuff like that, and things that I'm doing, trying to do on a weekly or monthly basis. But in the end of the day, I think it really comes down to doing what you love today. So many people will just say, hey, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and then I'm going to be happy. Um, you got to change the script. You've got to tell, ask yourself every day, what's going to make me happy today? What's going to make me excited today? And do those things and grow from there. And I think at least for me personally, changing that that paradigm changed everything. Right. And, you know, I just want to point this out because I want to make sure that our listeners get this. Is you just shared with us that a few years ago, you might have had one business, you might have had two businesses, and you're doing all these things that uh, you know, we, they tell us business creators, we have to know off the top of our heads. We have to know our CPAs and our CTRs, and we have to you know, look at all these stats and charts and, and Gantt, whatever the hell that is. I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm, and, I, and I'm an organizational business consultant. I can barely tell you what it is. I mean, uh, I, I look at... Uh, I look at things a little bit differently than some people do. I mean, when there's a need for these types of statistical things, I can create those very simply, and I can understand numbers and things like that, but we didn't become entrepreneurs so that we could look at numbers all day and look for a way to turn our conversions from 3% to 3.5% by you know, tweaking this and doing this A, B, multivariate split test, the headline, the testimonial box and all that. 
No, we did it so we could do what you do. I mean, you you may spend, as you said, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, quote unquote, working, running all these million dollar businesses. But because it's the thing that you really want to do, it doesn't feel like work. So yeah, I mean, if you're if you own the business, I mean, you're occasionally going to have to, uh, I don't know, check in and make sure it's still there, I guess. But uh, but uh, you have other people to run the businesses because they're established businesses and not startups. So it's not like you have to like uh, you know stand at the front counter and uh, ring up the transactions or anything like that, which is fantastic. And just listening to you, you know, you, you sound so calm. And I I I I don't know whether it's just the the transmission because we're speaking to each other from halfway across the world, uh, or maybe there's something going on with Skype today, but, you know, it sounds to me like there's some wind blowing in the background. Are you sitting on the beach right now? I'm, I'm actually in my, in my, uh, in my, in my rooftop, so um, I, I can actually see uh-huh. the beach, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in my rooftop, yeah. <laughs> you got me. So you're up, you're, up, you're up on the rooftop. Is it a nice day today? Very nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just hang hanging out there, you know, you got your you know, you got your computer, your device or whatever it is, you're plugged into your Skype, you're having conversation with me on the Business Creators Radio show, you're making money off these million dollar businesses. Life is good. So I hope that this inspires some of our listeners to think about applying some of uh Moran Povera's sharing with us today just about how to invest in your by investing in businesses. I mean, his goal is to buy and invest in 100-plus businesses over the next five years. So just, again, in the interest of helping people have a firm foundation when they choose to do this, you know, what are some uh, other roadblocks that you've encountered or things that people may want to be very careful to avoid in terms of rookie mistakes so that they can just learn from mm-hmm. you and be more successful? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's a really first of all you gotta make that decision if that's something you want to do um, because it's a it's a basically making the decision that you're going to create value via by acquisition versus organic growth. Oh, oh and I'm sorry if there's a really loud background noise right now. There's a plane above me. I might go in if that's if it's interrupting. I hear but, it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. About <laughs> I hear that. it. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm saying I think it's it. a really. <laughs> I'm just saying I think it's really important to make the decision that you're going to create value by acquisition by buying companies versus growing organically because there, there's two ways to grow a business. There's one way where you, you could do everything that most businesses do and just grow by marketing and sales mostly. Um, the second way to grow a business, and that's mostly what big businesses are doing, is to grow the business by acquisition. Um, that's the way the biggest companies out there are growing right now. If you look at some of the biggest famous companies out there, take take a company like Facebook for example, the the the, the fastest way for them to grow right now to meet their shareholders' demand is to go and buy other businesses. I mean, you can grow in years worth of sales in in an afternoon, literally in one acquisition. Let's say you have existing business doing one million year in sales, you can go and buy your competitor, literally who's making one million year in sales as well, and you're now a business making two million year in sales. And I'll tell you even more than that, you, you could even merge two of you together and let the competitor owner to run your combined firm so you could be a shareholder and owner and focus on growing the business by acquisition versus, again, focus yeah. on the day-to-day. 
So I, I think it's a really just the biggest thing is to change your paradigm from being a manager to being an owner, a shareholder, someone who's focused on, on the big vision, the big picture. And at least personally, I think that's the biggest thing for me. Like sometimes I try to hold myself from doing things that I know, first of all, people could do better than me. And secondly, just um, I, I know I could do better things with my time, like going and finding another business or going and finding um, another synergies or joint ventures with potential business those are at least personally for me those are the two biggest things i can do to find a joint venture opportunity or a business to buy yeah you know uh i just thought of something else here and i'm just wondering if you ever ran into this uh the -hmm. idea of buying your competitor and thereby potentially doubling the revenues in the same business you're in just by absorbing your competitor uh you know we hear about that uh i know people personally who are in the process of building businesses with the idea that they will ultimately be acquired by their competition. And they take this to the level where they study their competition and they do things the same way their competition does it. Uh, like, uh, I'm going I'm to, you know, like here, for example, like I know somebody who's, in, who's you know, selling a certain type of food that he produces. So part of what he's done is he's already identified the competitor who he hopes will buy him out. And he studied their technical processes down to the vendors they use for shipping, the way they package the food, where they buy the boxes, where they buy the dry ice, uh, what e-commerce system they're using. And he's doing it the same way his competitor does it because when he approaches his competitor to get them to buy him out, he wants to make his business more attractive to them so they can look at it and say, hey, they're already doing all the same things we're doing. This will be an easy merger and acquisition because we use the same processes. We don't have to do, like, major transitions when we buy this other business out. So what occurs to me is, have you ever run into somebody who may be a competitor of one of the businesses you have, you know, and they built this great business, but you know what, the whole entrepreneurial thing maybe just isn't working out for them or maybe they just want to slow down or what have you, so they want to sell you the business with the idea that they'll then work for you, meaning you'll buy their business and you'll maintain them either as a consultant or as the CEO of that business for X amount of time. Do you ever run into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you just said is very, very common thing that I'm seeing constantly. Um, many times I, I sometimes see startups pitches as well. And many times that's literally their exit strategy to go and find a, a competitor or a big player in the industry to buy them. So there are two things to think about. First of all, is I think it's a great, great idea if you have something really, really unique. Um, if you're just doing everything that your competitor or big player in the market is already doing, you need to ask yourself, why do you need, why, why needs you? Um, one of the options could be yes, you could, you could buy it just because you have some, um, some nice, uh, part of the market or you got to a point where you got nice revenues coming in but at the same time if you don't have something unique i would also worry a little bit because i've heard some horror stories about, about competitors basically saying that they're okay that they're looking or or potentially open to explore the opportunity to buy that business but during due diligence they're literally stealing everything like they're stealing employees they're offering them double their salaries they're um, stealing clients, they're um, stealing literally everything that that business built. Like I know businesses that literally went bankrupt 
doing due diligence process of them thinking that their competitor is going to buy them. I've seen horror, horror stories. So I would just, I would just say that to, to warn people a little bit. And, uh, but obviously, if you have something really unique, um, then don't worry about it. I mean, if it's going to be hard to compete with you, and uh, you need to think how hard, first of all, it's going to be to, to steal, for your competitor to steal something from you, or how hard it's going to be to replicate you. If the competitor is going to take much more time to do everything from scratch versus buying you, then you got a great business. So I would say just, just make sure you got those things. Otherwise, I've seen really bad things. And that's why, at least personally, when I go and potentially try to buy business, I do everything in my power to position myself as the safety of hand, as someone who's going to take care of the employees, the heritage, the brand, the track record. Uh, because I know personally as well, when I, when I had businesses and people came to me and offered to buy my business, um, first of all, some of those businesses are like my babies. And um, you want make sure you want to make sure that someone's going to take care of them. Uh, but secondly, you're just you're just worried. You don't know what's going to happen. And many times, people who are selling their business uh, that's their only business that they're ever going to sell in their life. So they're really cautious. So I would say, um, at least personally, I try to position myself as a safe pair of hands as much as possible. But from the from the business owner stand uh, point of view, I would say just just be worried and make sure you have something unique because if your competitor um, is going to learn everything he can about your business during due diligence. So usually the way it works is someone make an offer to buy your business and let's say you sign an LOI, a letter of intent. Uh, after that period, the owner got usually an exclusivity period of two months to do due diligence on you. And during that time, it could just go away. Uh, but at that period, he, he learned everything he can about your business. So my question to you as a business owner, to, to anyone other is listening, is um, how long will it take that competitor to start everything from scratch and be in your position? If it's going to take too much, um, then, I mean, it, it really depends if it's going to work, right? It, the, the business is going to ask himself, is it going to be worth to buy that business or can I just start it from scratch? I, I would just say just focus on those two things and make sure you have something unique. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's you know, all great things to consider and i gotta tell you this is one of those interviews we've done on business creators radio show that in its own way is you know quietly but very powerfully inspiring so it doesn't have a you know woo woo feel good topic about it like you know reaching out to the transcendental power of the universe or anything like that but what it does it lays a practical foundation to give people a real thought process for how they could create multiple streams of income using this formula or how they could create securable assets so they can secure the funding they need to do the things that they truly want to do in life, which, as I said earlier, is what's gotten me a little bit interested in this is something that I may want to pursue here a little bit later in 2017 going into 2018. So this is all good stuff. Uh, you know, we have just a couple minutes left here. We're near the top of the hour. So first of all, uh, Moran Pobert, thank you for being with us. And uh, along with that, I'd like to turn the floor over to you for just a moment, and if you could just share with our listeners a little bit how they can engage with you and how you can help them take it to the next level. Uh, for those who may be sitting on the edge of their seat saying, yes, I want some of this for myself right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so pretty straightforward. If you have an existing business that you're potentially looking to sell, I'm happy to explore that and have a conversation and maybe make an offer to buy the business. And I just know that many times people who listen to those interviews want to do what I'm doing. So if you want to get into this world, like I said, um, 
Um, I don't know if I, I, I'm still going to work with more people, but I, I currently work with people who basically just watch my back and I give them the opportunity to get some equity in my deals just for helping me find deals. And then they could learn the process as well. Um, so if you either one of those, I'm happy to, to connect with you and, and have a chat. Just, just feel free to email me and I'm happy to talk. Oh, great, great, great. And, um, and let's just make sure that they know where to, to find you here. Uh, I have your website. It is www.moranpober.com. That's M-O-R-A-N-P-O-B-E-R.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just, just reach out. Yeah. During, uh, just go to this website or go to my personal email. is moran at abdassets.com. That's my company's uh, website. Yeah, now, 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 bear, now bear in mind, folks, when you reach out to Moran, he may respond to you while sitting on a rooftop in Tel Aviv, uh, watching the beach and hearing the airplanes go over top, enjoying the lifestyle that you should have. So bear that in mind uh, as you're speaking with him and thinking about taking this step, what it's going to be like, enjoying watching the planes fly over, maybe even owning one of those planes, looking at the beach, pleasant day on the rooftop, nice breeze. Uh, a little bit of traffic in the background. I hear somebody's going a little crazy down there on the street. And knowing that, and knowing that the alternative could be you're sitting in a cubicle looking at statistics. Now, to me, I'll take what Moran's doing any day of the week, and that sounds good to me. So uh, let me just say again, Moran Probert, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, a privilege, and very much an education. Thank you very, very much for having me. I really had a great time, and I'm, I hope uh, I, I helped some of the people who listen. Thank you very much. You bet. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. If you're listening live, please go to iTunes right now and subscribe so that you can get the replay of this episode and every episode of Business Creators Radio Show, where we and our guest experts help you win at the game of business and marketing. Be sure to visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com to see what the epi- what's coming up in our episodes and some of the episodes we've recently hosted where great information may await you today. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.